our whole philosophy is just to simplify things because when you're small, you can kind of say, hey, I want to automate that so we don't have to fill out any fields and we can auto create this and, and do all these crazy things. But the more your business scales and the more complex things become, that type of automation is just not going to grow with your business. It's going to become almost too much to maintain. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today we're joined by Valerie Papa, who is the Senior Manager of Revenue Operations at Andela. Valerie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Our pleasure entirely. So I'm seeing, I'm sensing, well, not sensing, I'm seeing from your background, I'm seeing experience in marketing, I'm seeing experience in operations, and then a shift into revenue operations now. I'd like to learn a little bit more about why you made that decision or, or how your roles evolved into the, the world of revenue operations. Yeah, um, it's funny. I, I studied marketing, business marketing in college and really thought that, hey, this is the direction I'm going to be taking my career. And my first role out of college, I was in you know, a, a marketing role, but I kind of fell into um, CRM administration there. And I was like, wait, this is actually really awesome. I want to do this for my career. So after that, I just like really sought out um, any roles that let me get my hands dirty with Salesforce. I was hungry to learn more in, in that whole world. And luckily, you know, after that, I was able to fall into quite a few roles that had to do with Salesforce, sometimes in marketing contexts. And I was doing Pardot and a little bit of consulting. And yeah, I just really fell in love with um, connecting technology and to solutions to people's problems. They made me feel really good and fulfilled in my career. So it just kind of came naturally that it would be RevOps. That is such a great answer. Um, two things I'd like to point out. So it was actually almost, you could say, fortunate that that first marketing role pushed you into the CRM admin division, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. It was really lucky. I would have never found it otherwise. And then my second point, I'm actually going to ask, like, why is it that you like the like being in the in the technology? But you gave a great answer to that, which is that you love matching people's problems. And I guess whether that's like internal people, like your sales reps or maybe your customers, mm -hmm. with technology and then using technology to help solve their problems. So, do you mm -hmm. see your like in your current role? Do you see 
the support reps or the sales reps like as the customers and then your job is to like help solve make their lives better with salesforce or other tools absolutely i do it's it's funny because i came into andela from a consulting position so before i was here i was working with tons of different clients uh, within kind of like a financial service industry. And I loved it, but I was, it was a lot, a lot of um, work, a big, I guess, client load. I was running like, I feel like five projects minimum at once. So it was nice to come back to an in-house job, but being at Andela, I view our whole revenue org as like, my client in a way, and I try to act as a consultant, especially even with leadership too. You know, you can always pose yourself as a consultant, as an advisor. I think that that's a lot of how RevOps should be in revenue orgs in general, just as a trusted advisor to the leadership team to be able to give informed opinions, looking at data and, and make really strategic recommendations. Yes, yeah, definitely a good insight. It's almost like every employees should have experience as a consultant but i totally understand how the revops function should be seen as that like expert advisor to the cro or to the head of sales or the ceo um my right. just to zoom in uh on andela now roughly what's the size of the, the those people you're supporting so the number of support reps and sales reps and then also the size of the revenue operations function yeah so uh we're actually growing uh big time right now so it's it's exciting i we, you know, it's funny, we definitely support the revenue org, but there are a lot of people on the delivery side of our company as well that um, our team is supporting because a lot of us work and use in Salesforce. So um, it's our whole end-to-end process and we're interfacing with accounting. So I would say we support um, just over 200 users in Salesforce. So I would say maybe 75 80 of those users are on the revenue side and the rest are delivery and support type roles. So yeah, big company and growing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then how many people are in the, your, in the RevOps function? Oh, right. Yes. So we have a team, a very small but mighty team of four right now, but um, we're hiring for two more analysts. So looking forward to having some more people join and get their hands dirty with us. Yeah. So if uh, if those roles are still open when we release this episode, there will be links below oh, this episode great. in the show notes <laughs> to those roles if anybody is interested um, in joining. Okay, awesome. What would you say that right now is like the most important project or initiative that you're working on? We just went live with Salesforce DPQ. So that is... On top of everything, every day right now, uh, we are still kind of ironing out some of the data migration stuff um, and just functionality, making sure user adoption is up. Um, it's a change for everybody. So we, our previous CPQ solution, everyone was using that for, you know, before I even joined. So it's it's a big transition for people, and it's a different way of looking at our at our subscriptions and and our revenue. So. Yeah, transitioning that is huge right now on my plate. This may be a bit of a novice question, but what was the business case for shifting from the old solution into Salesforce CPQ? Like, why did you guys spend all of that time and effort to make it happen? Yeah, I think overall it's scalability. Um, a big thing when I joined Andela was I looked in their Salesforce and I was like, oh no, oh gosh, we have had 
so many different owners of our Salesforce org. And a lot of people affectionately call it like a Frankenstein Salesforce. So my work was cut out for me and um, we've been working on cleaning up a lot. But honestly, we almost over automated a lot of things here. So right now, a lot of our, our work is actually to kind of unravel that and build something that is scalable, that's repeatable, that is allowing us to be flexible as we scale our business. We're really, you know, aggressively working toward our goals. So we can't have tools that are getting in our way. We need tools that support that. So you're saying there's actually things that were built that may have worked when you guys were like 50 people that you're having to Mm -hmm. unbuild and then Mm -hmm. replace other solutions. Yeah, we, our whole philosophy is just to simplify things because it's, when you're small, you can kind of say, hey, I want to automate that so we don't have to fill out any fields and we can auto create this and, and do all these crazy things. But the more your business scales and the more complex things become, that type of automation is just not going to grow with your business. It's going to become almost too much to maintain. Makes total sense. Aside from the CPQ thing, like once that's rolled out, everyone's loving that like a new initiative what do you think is the next thing you're going to be working on towards the end of 2021 i think right now uh what i have been dying to get my hands on honestly is our salesforce cleanup project so you know cpq is is playing into that and yes once it's done um that side of our org is going to be really clean but we've been dying to, you know, jump back over, support our friends in marketing ops and support our SDR team and really like helping them measure uh, MQLs and have some better reporting and automation there. And then also just generalized cleanup of our system. We have a lot of process builders, workflow rules, uh, fields that aren't used. We just need to take the time to really just reset and clean everything up so then we can really build and scale our business how like out of a hundred percent how like far do you think you're on the journey to getting the salesforce instance to where you want it to be i would say you know what uh probably with the cpq project ripping out the old tool and the automation that we tied into that tool got us about 60 percent of the way there so that 40%, I, I really think that we can get it done in, in uh, the rest of 2021. And then when you get to 100%, are you just going to take a holiday? Like, what's next? <laughs> uh, you definitely take a holiday. That sounds lovely. I, I need one. Um, but after that, I think really it'll be figuring out how to best support our revenue team and looking at, you know, okay, now that we've simplified things, what are smart automations that we can do? What's what's the next best thing to help grow the business? And how can I support our revenue org leaders? Wonderful. What a wonderful answer, Alex. I'm going to bring you in to dig a little bit deeper. Brilliant. Thanks, Tom. Um, and thanks, Valerie. That was yeah, super interesting. And um, yeah, just a, n- a number of things I'd really love to dive um, into more. Um, let's go in reverse order because it's easy. It's all fresher in the mind. Um, so yeah, just thinking about, about the Salesforce cleanup project, um, for a start, 60% sounds pretty fantastic already. Um, yeah, I feel good. 
I, I've worked with a guy before, he, he used to work at Salesforce, and he, he liked to say that he said, no one's Salesforce org is perfect. He said, and I, I can tell you this, because I've worked at Salesforce, and they should have the best one right, and even theirs isn't, isn't perfect, yeah. and it's, uh, it's a good thing. And also to Tom's question, when, it's, when it gets to 100%, well, it won't be long before that 100% isn't 100% anymore, because obviously things change. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's always ever-evolving. I, I think every six months, we're doing a little bit of like a pivot here, and something happens where we're like, all right, how are we going to operationalize that? How are we going to support that process? And sometimes that means iterating upon Salesforce. Um, I just wondered if, did you consider um, starting afresh with a new org and doing an org migration? Um, or, yeah. Yeah, I that idea was floated around. I think, um, you know, it, it sounds really nice. But it also is like, is the juice worth the squeeze on that? You know, it, that's a massive effort. Um, I do think there's some value in some of what was built. Like, you know, no hate to my predecessors at, at Antella at all. Um, a lot of what was built is great. And, and we still use some of these frameworks. So I think what we have is more valuable in keeping than, than scrapping. Okay, that's just really helpful because I think, I've certainly seen some Frankenstein orgs in, in my day. I think it's very common um, and it can feel easy to rip it up and start again. But actually, if you're thinking in that sort of agile development methodology, that's that's the opposite of being agile. That's one big kind of waterfall project and you've got to support the current org as all the users are still using it. Whereas can we can we make marginal gains, a bit of improvement every week? Um, so yeah, it's great to hear someone who's really you know excited by that as well. That's, that's often the people... Just need to get this sorted so I can get on with what I want to do. So, yeah, love the enthusiasm. Cool. And then just yeah, a bit about Salesforce CPQ as well because I know that's a very common kind of project at the moment. Lots of people are going that way, and also one of the biggest and sort of most complicated projects that you you can run in Salesforce. So, yeah. Um, have you got any kind of learnings and tips from from implementing it that you can pass on? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would definitely advise working with a consultant. I think um, even though we, you know, I, like I was saying before, our the whole name of the game with what we're doing right now is to simplify things and not overcomplicate, not over automate, not get ourselves into this tech debt hole. So, um, you know, work to find a consultant that is complimenting your business that is willing to work with you is willing to say no to you and actually play a devil's advocate because we could raise our hands and say hey this is a really good idea we need this and they could come back and say actually that is not best practice you should not be doing that we found someone who uh you know they were they've been very well versed in cpq they've done a ton of these before um they assisted with the data migration they helped with the design and they kept us you know, on our original project plan and kept things simple so it's scalable. And then they've been really instrumental in the go live process. So that has been huge. Um, I would say if you're if you're on a CPQ tool right now and you're moving from one tool to Salesforce CPQ, keep in mind the data models might not always match. So I think getting help and assistance on data migration is also a big one. I thought that that was something I could take on just alone. Absolutely not. Um, it's a huge, huge effort. So um, to people out there who are running data migration, 
you guys are awesome. Um, definitely not a job that I think I could do by myself. <laughs> so really, really helpful tips there. So really appreciate that. Um, and it, it reminded me of something that you, you said before, and I really wanted to, to dig dig into a bit more because I think it's so powerful, which is trying not to over-automate things. And I just really eloquently put how, you know, you can automate a lot of things when you're small, but as soon as things change, then you just cause all the problems to redo it and actually keeping it really simple and, and, and enabling scalability. Um, I just wondered if you could speak any more to that, maybe with an example of when you toned down an automation that made sense one time, but it was actually getting in the way and, and how you kind of approach that simple philosophy and only automate the right things. Yeah, I think I've I've had a lot of great leaders um, at at Andela and you know also in previous roles and you know one of the things was is like push back on those automation requests. Uh, you know that's that's what these leaders have have advised me. Push back on it, and I have. You know, if no one can make a compelling argument as to why they want to automate something other than the fact that like hey, we don't really want to fill out these fields or I don't want to create that record. Well, okay, what is this doing to move our business forward? How is this contributing to our overall goal? I had a boss one time who helped me make a graph and on the x-axis, it was um, scalability and on the y-axis, it was revenue. We should prioritize everything that is enabling both scalability and revenue. If it's not doing both of those things, then maybe you prioritize it a little bit lower. Maybe it's only enabling revenue or maybe it's only enabling scalability. Still important. You should still do it. But if something is enabling revenue and scalability, like, yes, that is the direction we want to go. That's how you should think through your automation. If it's enabling those things, go forward with it. However, like if something isn't enabling your scalability, isn't enabling revenue, then that's when you need to push back and say, you know, ask more questions, potentially say no, um, or rethink it. You know, I, I don't always like to say no to people. So if someone suggests something, it's also an opportunity for you as the trusted advisor to gently guide them in a different direction and say, hey, great idea, but here's another way I, I thought about that. And this will actually get us into a better position and also help your team you know, in, in another way in the future that you guys won't have to worry about us maintaining this on an ongoing basis. Fantastic. That, that's so helpful. And, and, and I love, yeah, just the, the getting on board of being a trusted advisor. It also means you've got to really understand the problem they're trying to solve, just the solution they've requested. Um, and you also bring in the benefit, not just of your ability to automate it, but your understanding of what's going on everywhere else, whereas they are likely in a much smaller world. And it really matched up to the, the other two points I wanted to bring out of what you said earlier, which was that you love matching people's problems to tech to help solve them, and also acting as that internal consultant. Two ideas that I you know, thought were just fascinating, and I think I really saw, saw there. I particularly like the idea of saying, you, you know, actually, the, op, the revenue ops function could really act as an, almost an, you know, an internal, but sort of set aside consultant to, to the revenue function to really give the leaders advice on what could, could happen to, to change the business and move it forward. And you have the ability to, because you're slightly outside of the day-to-day in, in that, that perspective. And I just thought that was sort of fascinating and kind of poor question, but is there any more you could, you could add to that? Because that, that really sort of and resonated with me. I wonder if there's more that you could share about how you see that idea of being that internal consultant. Yeah, I think 
I think it's good in a way to be on the RevOps side. At, at least at Andela, you know, we have a step back and we're able to see process end to end. And I think as long as you're, you know, you have that ability to look cross-functionally, have that ability to zoom in on the micro, but also zoom out on the macro and, and be able to say like, hey, uh, this project on my plate is contributing to three other departments who are not involved in this effort whatsoever. How do we rethink this? It's, it's fun and it's challenging because a lot of departments and, you know, no, no offense to them, but they're thinking of themselves, which they should be. But we as, as an operations function get to think of everyone kind of holistically. And I think that that allows us to have that platform to be consultative to the leaders, um, to other departments, to all of our stakeholders, and be able to have the information armed with us that not everyone in the company might have, especially right now, we're all remote. So it's it's definitely hard to know what everybody's doing. So we're in all of these meetings. We're working behind the scenes to orchestrate all of the technology, all of the process, all of the operations. It's helpful because knowing everything that's going on, I'm able to tell um, someone on the delivery side, like, hey, this is what sales is doing. And this is how they're working to get, you know, your work to you. And hey, sales, this is how delivery is supporting what you're doing. This is where, you know, once you close one year deal, this is where it's going into. And I think just having that full view of your company is is really quite interesting and and definitely allows for you to have that platform to really advise and be strategic. Yeah, thank you. Just one more question, hopefully quickly. Um, but just want to throw, throw the floor open to you, really, and any any kind of thoughts or, or wisdom you've got just generally in the world of RevOps, anything that you'd like to share, um, whether it's kind of a, a contrarian opinion or just something that you've been finding really valuable. Yeah, I think something that I wish I realized uh, later on in my career or earlier in my career uh, is that you don't always need the fanciest technology or the most complex process. Um, you always want to just keep in mind the people who are using this process or this technology and what your actual process is. Like people should come first. Who are your adopters? Um, what do they need? What's going to enable them to work better? How are you supporting them? Because that's your number one thing. That's your client. And then second is the process. Like if you don't have a solid process, if you don't know what your team is doing or how they should be doing it, please do not go out and purchase the most expensive, fancy Ferrari of all sales tools for whatever you need. You know, always you know, get that process down, make sure that it's repeatable, make sure that it's scalable, make sure that it's something that works for you. And then once you've gotten that down, like, yes, you can go out and buy your fancy tools or invest in, in you know, the most expensive things, but really just be smart about the decisions and, and don't get this massive tech staff or, you know, over-operationalize everything, like really start simple and then kind of scale that up. Thanks very much. That was fantastic. Um, Tom, do you want to join us and, and wrap up? Amazing. Yeah, thank you both. Valerie, now the most important question. Who in the world of revenue ops would you most like to take for lunch? Oh, that is a good question. There's someone I've been following on on LinkedIn, and I'm, I'm forgetting her last name, but I know her name is Rosa, and she just seems 
so incredible. I don't have <laughs> my dog in the background. <laughs> I don't have um, a lot of uh, female role models in the you know whole I guess RevOps world. So having a female role model to look up to, I think she's amazing. I, I totally look up to her and fan girl from afar. <laughs> incredible. We will definitely. Uh, track down Rosa and then add her <laughs> link to her profile below if anybody's interested. Um, Valerie, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, it was super insightful to get somebody who is has the experience uh, in like the detail of the CRM. We haven't had that for a while. We've been a bit too strategic, in my opinion. So it was really good to get somebody who has the, both the passion and the expertise here uh, to dig into that a little bit better. So that's what I took away, and I'm sure that's what the audience also enjoyed with this episode. So I would like to thank you for coming on and sharing so much of the Salesforce-related wisdom. Thank you, and, th and thank you for having me. This was awesome. It's always good to chat about this stuff and take the step back also to think about you know where I started and now where we're going. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.